<laughs> I got so much to share, I need two mic stands today. Okay, you don't remember me. I'm Mark, and I um, I pastor here, and it's good to see. I, I'm the other Mark, the funny Mark. He was the last three weeks. I'm the scary Mark. That's what I'm told anyway, so, you know, what can I say? Some of those kind of things, they stick with you all, their, all your life. So how's everybody tonight? Okay? You ought to be. It was like 50 degrees today or something, wasn't it? Yeah, boy, I tell you, global warming, it's really scaring me. Pretty soon, pretty soon it's going to be a big lake, all the cities, all the glaciers are going to melt, we're going to be in, in arcs. So, okay. So, hey, listen, we got something new for you tonight, back at the table. We got new little rock cards for you, okay? It says, one God, not religion, the rock. And you got this guy and girl standing on the front and on the backs of the directions, and I want to make sure that you get some of these tonight. Build up your supply because we're going to start kind of a rock campaign around the city, especially in Uptown, starting in just a few weeks. We're going to have a matching little mini poster in a lot of the bathroom stalls around the Uptown area like Old Chicago and Applebee's and some of the other bars and that kind of stuff. So when you go into a restaurant or something, you leave a tip, leave one of these cards, leave these things lay, leave them in your classrooms at college. Because we want to make people aware that The Rock is here. There's a lot of spiritually interested people in the city. And that's really what The Rock was created for. Then in the month of starting next month, I'm going to do a four-week series on what in the world is The Rock here for? A lot of times you might wonder, what is this church about? What are we trying to accomplish? We're going to take four weeks and talk about that. Then March 10th, we're going to have a really cool concert here we're going to have an Odyssey concert. We've got a super promo for you to give to your friends. We're working on a really super special CD that you're going to be able to hand to them. And that concert will then kick off the series that's starting the following week. Jesus, I have a question and we'll have something special for you to give to your friends as well. We also, in just a couple of weeks, have a rock calendar that we're going to put in your hands for the entire year. So you'll know everything that's going on throughout the week for the next 11 months. So some neat things going on here. Glad that you're here tonight. If this is your first time, I'm the pastor. I'm the normal guy. And uh, the funny guy was last week. And we'll bring him back because I know you all really love old Mark. Listen, we just called him old Baldy. So <clears throat> now he's a very dear friend of mine. I wouldn't call him that to his face, but. He's not here, so. Hey, you guys actually laughed. That's really amazing. Anyway, tonight we're going to have one of those little family talks. One of those family talks. Just pretend we're all family, which we are. We're all family. And I have something kind of important that I'd like to share with the family. So I'd like us to bow our heads tonight, and then we'll get started with this evening's message. Father, we want to thank you so much tonight that, in fact, our lives do not revolve around or have to revolve around money. That you freed us, Lord, from that terrible addiction. In fact, Lord, as we look out on our world, the number one addiction in America is not alcohol or drugs or pornography or food. It's spending money. People live to spend. They're slaves 
to their cravings. And they want more and more and more. We want to thank you tonight that we don't have to live that way. I want to thank you, Lord, for what Mark shared with us the last three weeks. Profound and powerful and so important for our lives. Father, we just ask you tonight that you would open our hearts to what you have to say to us this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. You ever been really, really, really thirsty? Anybody really thirsty tonight? I'm kind of thirsty. So I'm going to take a drink of this. This is holy water. I import this actually from Rome, Vatican City. And, uh, you know, ever since... Well, this is why Mark's bald and I'm not, actually. So He just drinks the kind from Sam's Club because he's so frugal. But I spend an extra $3 a bottle and uh, I have hair. Anyway, so I want you to pretend for a moment that you're really thirsty. You see my bottle of water up here, but instead, get rid of this bag here. I offer you some of this. There is a little water in the bottom, but the rest is old oil out of my 1991 Toyota. Would you like some of this? If you're really thirsty, you think you drink this? It's kind of, it's bad water, wouldn't you say? We got good water. And we got bad water. And this, can you see that there? Shine the spotlight on it right on there. Okay. So there's a big difference between the two, isn't there? Now let's just suppose that we take this one right here. And we take this one right here. And we do this. Oh man, that's beautiful. Now, what we have right here is a messed up life. And what we have right here is a compromised life. It's not that bad. There's just a little dirty oil in there. There's a lot of water, as you can see, but anybody want a drink? I didn't think so. I don't either. And I want to talk to you tonight about an extremely important topic. Something that I believe is really important for The Rock right now. In the particular juncture that we're at as a church. It's called No Compromise. I want to read you what... Well, before I read, I want you to think about the waters here. Which one you want to drink? Actually, let's put one more up here. And you can decide... Which one of these bottles is your life? This one that someone would want to drink out of? This one that you, God, and maybe a few other people know is being compromised? Or this one that, hey, what the heck, I don't even care. Let me just do whatever the heck I want to do. We know better than to drink out of this one. But sometimes we think we can get away with it and someone will want to drink from our life. No, they won't. I want you to imagine for just a moment that you found out from a very, very reliable source 
This is a made up story, by the way. That you found out from a very, very reliable source. That every once in a while I've been taking money from the rock fund. Nothing really bad. You know, I got extra bills. You know, my daughter's very sick. One month from now, we'll be in the two full years. You know, every once in a while, I just reach in and take three, four, five, six hundred extra dollars. What would you think of that? Honestly, think for a moment. <clears throat> what would you think of that? Would you trust me? If you found out that that was the truth, and even though you think to yourself, well, geez, you know, he does kind of need it, but geez, he's stealing. He's taken from the rock fund. He just kind of dips in and uses it as his own private account, whatever he wants. What would you think? <clears throat> would you trust me? Would I be able to be very useful to God? Would it hurt the church? Would it hurt the reputation of this church? Would it hurt the team? The answer to all those questions is, of course, yes, it would hurt the team. Yes, it would hurt the church. No, you wouldn't trust me. And it would damage your confidence in a pastor. And maybe that's already happened before in some way. This would just add insult to injury. I take, in fact, your confidence very, very very importantly, I have no access to the rock money. Just want to assure you of that. Anytime the money's counted, there's always two or three people in the room to assure the honesty and integrity of the counters. I have no church credit card. I have no access to the funds. I want to assure you that. But we're just pretending for a moment. Let me ask you this question. What do you think Kobe Bryant's teammates felt after Colorado? And what do you think Dante Culpepper's teammates thought after the boat? And what do you think it did to the team? Because they just decided, you know, I think I'll compromise just a little bit. I think I'll have some fun. What do you think Mark McGuire's future is like? After he lies before a Senate subcommittee that he never used steroids, and of course now, well, well, yeah, I did. You know, you can't, have you ever seen a guy like Roger Maris? Anybody ever seen Roger Maris compared to a 250-pound Mark McGuire whose arms are bigger than my legs? I would hope he could hit the ball out of the park, especially when he's juiced. You think his records ought to stand next to a Roger Maris or a Lou Gehrig or a Babe Ruth or a Hank Aaron? I don't think so. What do you think would happen to Lance Armstrong's reputation? If all of a sudden you found out he was doped? You know what Proverbs says? I want you to listen to this. Like a muddied fountain or polluted spring is the righteous 
person who yields, falls down, and compromises their integrity with wickedness. Like a trampled spring in a polluted well is a righteous person who gives way to wickedness. Polluted. Who wants it? Not very much. It's only just a little bit. But now nobody wants to drink it. This is one of those kind of messages, to be honest, as a pastor, you really, you don't really want to talk about. You really don't want to talk about. But I felt like before the Lord, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be loving, I wouldn't be caring about you, I wouldn't be the person God wants me to be if I don't talk to you about this, talk with us as a church family about this. Compromise. It means to make a shameful or disreputable concession. It means to deliberately do what you know is wrong to do, but you do it anyway. And you compromise. And then you wonder why God's blessing is not on your life. And you wonder why maybe the church might be Suffering in one way or another. Sometimes we do not realize, do we, that our actions affect the team. You know, you've heard it said, oh, my private life has no public implication. That is so much crap. That is so... Kobe Bryant's private life affected the team. Tom DeLay's stupidity affected the team. When we do things deliberately that we know in our heart is wrong, we think, oh, I'm going to do it anyway. And we compromise. We muddy our life. We muddy our well. And we don't have anything to give to anybody. I'd like to read to you from Titus chapter 2. And we'll talk about this this evening. <clears throat> you ever ask yourself this question, what does God want from me? What does God want from me? I'm going to answer that question tonight. We're going to answer that question. What does God want from me? Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. In other words, revealing the good news of Christ to all people. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasure. We should live in this evil world with self-control, right conduct, and devotion to God. While we look forward to that wonderful event, when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. He gave His life to free us from every kind of sin. To cleanse us and to make us His very own. His very own people, totally committed to doing what is right. 
Mark, you must teach these things and encourage your people to do them, correcting them when necessary. You have the authority to do this, so don't let anyone ignore you or disregard what you say. What does God want from my life? Jesus Christ, you see, He comes down here and He lives among us. God among us. You know the story. It's all about Christmas and then fast forward to Easter. In between is Jesus' life. And God becomes man. Man is down here. All the world, everywhere you look, is just despicable wickedness. Out of our hearts come adultery, hatred, jealousy, anger, murder, malice, stealing. Everything that comes out of the Bible says everything comes out of our heart. is desperately wicked. And many people across the world, they live it out. They live out that wickedness. And it impacts nations. And it impacts villages and towns and families and individual lives. And Jesus Christ came and God looked down at this world that is deliberately rebelling and hateful and despicable and incorrigible. And He sent His Son down here. And Christ lived among us and He became one of us. And when He died on that cross, He became the offering, the sacrificial lamb for all the wrongs of every person in the entire world. My wrongs, your wrongs, everybody's wrongs. Saddam's wrongs. Stalin's wrongs. Down to just little old you sitting in the seat this evening. Christ became those things. His grace was revealed. And grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. It's a free gift that God offers to us. His forgiveness. His redemption. And He bought us with His blood. What you saw in the Passion, if you had the courage to see it, was just a small representation of what Jesus Christ suffered to get you and me. So now His grace has been revealed. And He brought salvation to us. And now what does He want? What does He want now that we're His? He wants us to turn from godless living, living like we don't know God, and sinful pleasures. Now, you know, people always ask the question, does God want me to have any pleasure? Of course he does. We'll talk a little bit about that tonight. But the world, all they know about is sinful pleasures. Let me just talk briefly about one, just show you how screwed up, messed up our world really is. Think about the fact that Brad Pitt and Angelo Jolie are being treated like they're heroic. Like, the talk of the town is Brad and Angela's baby. Conceived in an immoral, pathetic relationship when he leaves Jennifer Aniston for Miss, I won't call her, and he's the same thing. Rolling in the dough. Everybody thinks it's awesome. Everybody thinks it's wonderful. Tonight before I came, there was a little news blip on Tom and Katie. You know, Tom Cruise and Katie Holmes. 
soon to be wed, expecting their first child. Maybe they are wed, but I think they're soon to be wed because they're talking about the prenups. And the commentator was saying, you know, no matter what happens with Katie after they get married or how long it lasts or doesn't last, it's going to be a good career move and it'll be good for her and the baby. Now, you see, we're so... I mean this kindly. We're so dumbed down that we see that on TV and we think, wasn't that precious? God looks at it and His tears roll down as He saw His Son who died for that despicable, immoral relationship. It cost God His Son. And all around the world, that kind of garbage is going on and it's called normal. It's normal. God came to save us from that sinful, godless, evil way of life. And yet, did you know that in the church in America, the evangelical, born-again church in America, that incidence of immorality, that's any kind of sex before marriage, and I'm going to get into that a little bit tonight, any kind of sex, I don't just mean intercourse, is happening as much in the evangelical church in America as in the unsaved world. There's a big problem. There's a big problem. You see, God will not bless an unholy church. He won't do it. It would be unloving to do. It would be unloving to bless the petulant, defiant child. It'd be unloving. Sin is the most destructive force in the world. We should live in this evil world. Now, I want to just comment on that for a minute. You think of some raving lunatic television, you know, idiot. I didn't write this. God calls the world evil. The world is evil. The world system is evil. What God made is not evil. The world's system is evil. The world's values are evil. The world is corrupt. You know what Jesus said over and over? Save yourselves from this crooked and perverted generation. And he was talking about the world in which we live. This world will destroy you. It will rot you out. He says we should live in this evil world, not stick our head in the sand. Okay, now this is very important. Not run off and buy a little hobby farm and let's all live in a commune together. He says live in this evil world with Self-control. Control yourself. Control your passions. Beat down the flesh. It's kill or be killed. You either kill your flesh or it will kill you. The Bible says that. You sow seeds to the flesh and it will lead to your life destruction. You sow seeds to the Spirit of God in your life and you will sow life and peace and joy. Live with self-control and right Conduct, that would imply there's wrong conduct. There's right conduct. There's wrong conduct. You go to somebody's funeral. You and I probably would realize that it wouldn't be a smart idea to walk up to people and shake hands with a little buzzer in your hand trying to make everybody laugh. It probably wouldn't be appropriate to show up, you know, in your torn and tattered jeans and 
There's appropriate and there's inappropriate. There's right and there's wrong. And then notice what he says. And we should live lives devoted to God. This is, you know what holy water is? You know what it really means? Consecrated. Consecrated. It means this, this bottle right here, I'm saving this bottle. This bottle's for human consumption. This compromised water cannot be for human consumption. And this one is real obvious it can't. It's in between the two that we get mixed up. Devotion to God means we take our life and we set it aside. And it's for God. It doesn't mean that we're sinlessly perfect. By the way, this does not represent someone who sins a lot, someone who sins a little, and someone who doesn't sin at all. This represents the person who doesn't care at all about following Christ. This represents the person who thought they were, but compromises deliberately with things they know they shouldn't. And this is the person who avoids compromising. They may sin, but they know it's covered by the blood of Christ, and they keep going hot after God because they're devoted to Christ. Devotion to God. Did you know something? Did you know that I am nowhere in the Bible commanded as a pastor to be more devoted to God than you are as a person in the congregation? There's no difference in the New Testament. You see, without going into this extensively tonight, you and I are both priests in the house of God. We are priests in the body and we are to be equally passionately devoted to God. Devoted to God. Devoted to God. Fully His. You know, I've shared this silly example with you before, but but let me do this again. When I got married, I made a choice. Okay? I want you all to think about this real careful. I made a choice. I made a choice when I was 20 years old that that's the woman I want to that woman I will stay devoted no matter how difficult it gets this may not seem special to you when I say this I don't mean it to be silly but my body is hers and my life is hers and I'm not going to share it with anybody else and she made the same commitment that's called devoted now, imagine for a moment, ladies, that you're just before your wedding, just before you're walking down, you and your bridegroom are in the back exchanging pleasantries. And he says, oh, by the way, I, I just wanted you to know, I thought maybe I should tell you before we head down the aisle that, uh, you know, I, I really love you and all that, but I got a pretty strong desires and I really don't think you, one woman, is going to be able to satisfy them our whole life, so... You know, I just wanted to understand I may have a few girlfriends along the way. How would you feel? I mean, you say to me, Omar, that's so absurd. It's not absurd. It's happening to Christ all the time. We say, oh Lord, I love you, Lord. Oh Lord, I love you. But let me have some more women. Let me have some more alcohol. Let me do some more drugs. Let me just have a little more of what I want. And we tell him, our bridegroom, or the bride, you know, Lord, you're okay. But just so you know, there's some other things in life I really want besides you. 
And the next thing you know, our life's polluted. Because we aren't consecrated to Him. Go back to marriage. My wife, of course, understands, and so do I, that she was going to make mistakes and I was going to make mistakes. We sinned against each other. That's not the issue. I want to make this really clear. We're not talking about sinless perfection, but my wife knows there are lines I won't cross and she hasn't crossed. And we are consecrated and devoted to each other. And God knows that as well. We're to live a life <clears throat> devoted to God. While, now notice this, while we're looking forward to something. See, this is part of what helps keep us devoted. We're looking forward to this incredible event. <clears throat> most incredible event in the world. When the glory of our great God, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. When He comes back. He gave His life. Why? To free us. To free us from every kind of sin. You know why we use the word addiction a lot? Because people are in bondage. They're enslaved. They're not free. Jesus said, you know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus Christ wants to make you free. He wants to free you from the taskmaster in your life. He wants to free you from those passions that you're used to giving into all the time. He wants to teach you with his grace to say, no, stop that. I will not do that. Because now you have his power living inside of you. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin to cleanse us and make us his very own people. Look at this. Totally committed to doing what is right. I want to ask you that question tonight. I'd like that to weigh on you a little bit this evening as you go through this next week. Ask yourself this question. Am I totally committed to doing right? Or are you the person who's full of excuses? It's too hard. I don't want to. I'd rather, I'd rather be a dirty bottle with a little oil in it because that's what your life is when you're not totally committed. You're compromised. There's no in-between. There is no in-between. There's compromised or totally committed. But there's no in-between. And we can sit around all day and we can analyze our life and we can, <clears throat> oh, but this and oh, but that. But the question you have to ask yourself is, am I totally, if Christ gave himself to free me from every kind of sin, what does he want me to be? He wants me totally committed to what is right. Not just for some, but all. Listen to the words of Peter, First Peter 4. For if you are willing to suffer for Christ, then you've decided to stop. You've decided to stop living a compromised life. And you won't spend the rest of your life chasing after evil worldly desires, but you'll be anxious to do the will of God. You've had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy, their immorality, their lust, their feasting and drunkenness and wild parties. And their terrible worship of idols. Of course, your former friends are very surprised when you no longer join them in the wicked things they do and they say stupid things about you. But just remember this. They will have to face God who will judge everyone, both the living and the dead. Oh, let them laugh. And let them make fun and just remember, they 
will face God for what they're doing. But as for me, I'm going to live a life devoted to God. I'm going to live a life totally committed to doing what's right. What are things that are easy to compromise? I, I realize I'm talking to a group primarily of young men and women. So let's go over a couple of these because I really care about you. I really, really genuinely care about you. I pray for you rockers every morning. Early, every morning. I pray for this church. I pray for many of you by name. I care about you. Word gets to me that there are those who are compromising morally. These guy-girl relationships, they're awesome, man. No, nobody's more excited about guy-girl relationships and people getting married and all that than me. But you know what? If you think because you're not having intercourse, you're not violating God's command when you're doing everything but, you're really wrong. And you're hurting yourself. And you're hurting the team. And you're hurting the church. You're compromising your testimony. You're compromising your life. And you're compromising the team. When you think, you know, I'm just with a bunch of rockers. We can just drink like, you know, I'm with my old buddies. You're compromising your testimony. Especially when you don't consider men and women that there are people here who have struggled with alcohol all their life and your insensitivity has caused many of them to go against their conscience because you are taking a liberty when you should be considering the interests of others more important than your own. Well, then there's the compromise of our integrity. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's something we know. You know, we just compromise a little bit. <clears throat> we have a young man here that uh, I've told this story before, but I, I never get tired of telling it. There are many stories like this, by the way, at The Rock. Not identical to this one. This one's fairly unique. But in the spirit of this story, there's a young man here named Peter. And I remember when he first got out of college, Peter came to this when he was still in college and he came to know Christ and he's growing in the Lord and he got the dream job working for this ad agency. And finally he got promoted to the women's lingerie catalog department and his job was going to be to help the photographer take pictures of women in their underwear all day. He was the envy of the whole department. He called me on the phone. He said, Mark, uh, I just got this promotion, if you want to call it that. And he said, um, everybody in the company wants it. He told me about it. He said, I don't. I don't think it's going to be a real healthy thing for me. Trying to follow Christ. Looking at women in their underwear all day, helping the photographer. I said, you know, I agree with you. You're a wise young man. He said, the problem is, Mark, is that I'm... If I go in and tell the boss that I really can't take this promotion, it's not like they'll go, oh, well, no problem. We'll put you in another department. We'll find someone else. He said, I'll lose my job. I said, lose your job. Lose your job. And then I told him a couple of stories about my jobs being on the line and one I did lose. There's a reason sort of similar, not the same, but sort of. 
So he went and he told them, I'm sorry, this compromises my moral integrity. And he lost his job. <clears throat> I remember when I was 25, I had the sales job. And I worked for this guy. He was just one of the meanest people I've ever met in my life. He, I was in this auto parts store, and 40 miles away, he ran another one, but he was over our store. And uh, I had been working the previous year to build up the business that he had destroyed in the town that I was in. I literally got kicked out of shops because of this man's awful reputation. And he would always call me, pressuring me for these sales promotions, trying to get people to buy stuff that I knew they didn't want to buy. So one day after about a year there, the business doubled in the first year I was there. He was pretty happy about that. But at the beginning of the new year, they sent these calendars over. Now, the ones they sent to me were these girly calendars, whatever you want to call them. And we'll get real descriptive. So that morning, I knew it would be really foolish for me to call him on the phone. So I called the vice president of the company. Of course, I knew this would incur the holy wrath of Don. I didn't care. I called Ken. He was the vice president. He was much younger than Don, but, and he'd been with the company less time. I said, Ken, I want you to know that I got these calendars, and I, I really appreciate the fact that you're trying to get the salesman something to hand out, because you know usually this company hasn't done that. But I said, you know, this last year I worked really hard to build this territory, and I built it on my moral integrity. Because I've shot straight with these guys, I've kept my word with them, and I said, that didn't happen here before, and you know that. He goes, Mark, you've done a great job with the territory. I said, well, Ken, I can't hand these calendars out. It will compromise my integrity. He said, Mark, I'm a little confused. We sent uh, antique cars over to you. I said, well, I got the ones that uh, a woman in the laundry ran. I said, I'm not in the laundry business anyway, Ken. I'm in the auto parts business. So he goes, Mark, I feel terrible. Send them back over here because we had cars made special for you, see? They singled me out. They knew my reputation. Thirty minutes later, old Don, he's driven all the way over from Marshalltown. Don weighs about 450 pounds. The reason he wasn't the president of the company is because he knocked the president of the company out in a drunken rage at a sales meeting. This guy was mean as they come. He was a pit bull. And he walks into the store, and he gets this far from my face, calls me every name you can be called, spits coming into my face, and he says, you blanket him! And I thought he was going to die of a heart attack. He was beat red. He eventually did die of a heart attack. He, his face gets beat red. And he said, you blankety blank, we'll hound the calendar. And I just looked him right in the eye. He said, Don, I will not hound up those calendars, and no one in the store will hand out the calendars. Well, you blankety-blank, it's a little blankety-blank. Do you know I can have you fired? I said, you have me fired, but you can't have my integrity. And you know what, Don? You won't fire me anyway because the store is doing twice as much business as it's ever done, and you're making a commission off it, and you and I both know it. You're greedy, and you want the money. So if you want to flush all that down the toilet, you fire me right now, and this store will lose $12,000 a month just like that. Fire me. But no one will hand out those calendars. And I have that on the vice president's word. Oh man, he was livid. I thought he was just going to melt right there in front of me. But it was so beautiful. And I would do it all again. It was so beautiful. And he just storms out of the, the room. 
few weeks later, a few weeks later, we had this giant sales outing where you're supposed to bring your wives. Walker Mufflers is whining and dining all the salesmen in a motel to go see the Hawkeyes play. The Gophers was actually up here at that French Sofitel Hotel of 494. It's many, many years ago. So, Kath, I was working about 80 hours a week at the time. I really didn't want to go down to the hospitality room because the hospitality room was a hotel room with all the stuff cleared out. and It was a giant bar and everybody was just getting drunk. And I, you know, just wasn't my thing. And I wanted to win people to Christ, but I don't really enjoy being around drunk people. I don't mind being around people drinking, but drunk people, that's another matter. Of course, I wanted to kind of hole up in the motel room with my wife, too. I had other reasons for that. But we won't talk about that. We wanted to pray and to read our Bibles, and, you know, stuff like that. And so, finally I said to Kathy, you know, she said to me, she said, we should probably go down there, Mark. I said, yeah, you're right. So we go down to the, to the room. And I'm walking in the room, and Kathy's on my arm, and all of a sudden, Wally, he's the other salesman that his sales were, and mine were about neck and neck. They kept track. It was like this big competition. Ah! There's Mr. Holier than thou and his woman. The whole place, like 60 people. You need to hear a pin drop in it. Now, you know, a normal guy, well, I'm a normal guy. I don't know if you are or not, but it's kind of like, you know, you can mess with me, but you mess with my wife, I'm going to rip your eyeballs out. You can humiliate me. You know, we can take that, but not in front of the women and not with my wife. And he's sitting by Don, and Don's kind of laughing, ha, ha, ha. And I'm like, like, you know, what do I do in this situation? So I said, really quiet. I said, Wally, I don't want anybody here knowing how holy I am. You just let it out of the bag. Well, you didn't laugh, but they laughed. Kind of, there was this nervous laughter. And then I went right over, and I sat down, I put my arm around, and I said, Wally, what's going on, man? He goes, I think you're better than all of us, because you want to hand out the girl calendar, Mark. I said, Wally, these guys are listening. I said, Wally, I'm not better than you. I said, I'm not better than you. I said, let me just be blunt, Wally. I'm not going to hand out a calendar where all the guys look up at the calendar and think about having sex with a girl in the calendar. Am I clear, Wally? I can't be part of that. That's what my life used to be, Wally. Christ changed my life. It's the only reason. I'm not holy. Christ changed me. And my life is different now. Well, so Kathy and I, we get over in the corner and we're like, okay, Mark, what should we do? I said, well, what would Jesus do if he were here? He'd preach. No. I thought about it, though. And then we thought, water into wine. The first function Jesus ever went to, he turned water into wine. In other words, he served the people. So Kathy and I are looking around and there's bottles everywhere, half open, you know, or half empty and, and cans everywhere. So we started being the waiter and the waitress for the whole rest of the time. We're getting people food. We're getting extra ice for any of the drinks. Guess what happened? Next thing you know, everybody's over in our corner. We're kind of tending bar. I don't know how to tend bar, but I know how to serve. The vice president's wife, she comes up. She goes, you know, this is the nicest thing anybody's ever done. This is usually a pigsty here. She said, I can't believe you're doing this. I said, well, you know, we just want to help out. That night, people drank less. You know why? Because we controlled the flow. They just didn't realize it. <laughs> three weeks later, three weeks later, 
I worked on Saturday mornings because that was part of my job. I had to work 8 to noon on Saturday morning, every Saturday morning. I get a call about 11.30. It's Wally. <clears throat> you know, Mr. Holier-than-thou guy. Mr. Really Drunk. He goes, Mark, you live in Newton. It's about 60 miles away. He goes, Mark, uh, as soon as you get off work, can you come up here with your wife? My, uh, my wife and I, we really need to talk. I said, sure, Wally. I'll come. He goes, in fact, bring me some batteries. That way you can use the, the, the company truck and bring stuff up to me. I said, okay. So he'd been around longer than I was, so I took him at his word. So I loaded some batteries he needed for a sale. And I drove up for the next three hours. He began to tell me, Mark says, this is my third wife. I got two daughters that have had children out of wedlock. I got a son in prison. He said, I need to understand you. I want to know what you have. You won't hand out the calendars, but you're over serving all of us. Explain to me what you have. Next three hours, I shared Christ with him. He came to know Christ. The question I ask you is, do you think if I had compromised, that I would have ever had that opportunity to lead him to Christ? Do you think if compromising were the habit of my life, that I'd be here today? You know that I would not. You know that I would not. Well, listen, I love you. I care about you. I care about you. I genuinely care about you. There are compromises going on here in the lives of people in this room. And I would encourage you, urge you, plead with you, please change. Please stop. Please step back. Step away from that which you've been compromising and determine, I am going to live, like Titus says, a life of right conduct with self-control by the grace of God. And I'm going to run from the desires of youth and I'm going to be devoted to God, totally committed to doing what's right. Do you want this to be your life? Do you want this to keep being your life? Or do you want to come over and have this be your life? I believe this is what you want. And by God's grace, you can have it. I believe God wants to bless this church so much. Listen, men and women, there are so many young people your age in this city, hundreds of thousands of them, that are hungry, spiritually seeking, and they want to drink from your life. They want to know, what do you have do you have something? And is your life ready for people to take a drink from? I want God to use this church more than anything in my life. I want to be able to get glory from us together collectively. Let's not tarnish Christ's name with compromised living. Let's pray. Father, we come to you tonight, Lord, and you know, Lord, tonight is not about perfection. That is not what we're talking about. Kobe Bryant was not perfect. He was a human being playing basketball. But one night he decided to compromise. Changed everything. Dante Culpepper is not perfect, but one time he decided to compromise and it became a massive distraction for the team. Tom DeLay is not a perfect person, but compromised with a guy named Abramoff. And now, he's in a lot of trouble. Mark McGuire wasn't a perfect man, 
we compromised. I just ask you, Heavenly Father, that you'd help us. Help us to determine to live lives that are fully, totally committed and devoted to God and devoted to doing what's right. Help us to quit compromising in our physical relationship with our significant other. Help us, Lord, to quit compromising with alcohol or drugs or greed or our values or our convictions or our integrity. Dear God, we want you to use this church. We want to hold out the living water of life, the light of life to young men and women in this city, particularly in the uptown area and the campus. We don't want to bring shame to your name. Please use us. Purify your bride. In Jesus' name, amen.